Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorag Nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. Should we, should we launch this dog into space? Let's do. Let's launch this dog into space. Welcome to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast, the podcast by emerging writers for emerging writers, because sometimes we feel like pros and sometimes we feel like cons. I'm Patty Boylan. I'm hosting for today and joining me are my friends, steamed and <laughs> shit, a friends and steamed. Joining me are my esteemed friends and colleagues, Lord Phoenix Rag. Oh, wow. You remembered my lordship. So few of course. Rem- <laughs> remember to add that. Thank you. Uh, yes, I am Lord Phoenix Rig. Um, I'm the founder of Bentlight Writing, freelance editing house with a focus on authenticity reading and all that. Um, agented children's author, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, that's me. Mm, very good. Uh, good King Matan Elul. Oh man, I'm the good king. That's so much better than a lord. You know, it's also about my character as a person, uh, not just different. my title. You've got more responsibility. <laughs> oh. So, I mean, you know, I'd hold off on that. Uh, let me enjoy my moment. Um, beside being a good king, I'm also a writer. I mostly write uh, fantasy and horror. Uh, you can find my stories online and, of course, in the New Mythic Anthology, which we will plug many times. And I'm an English teacher, uh, which is a lot of fun. Beautiful. Woo. And so Alex Eldridge the Brave. Fuck, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, yes, my, my, name is, my name is Alex. Uh, I am... A warrior poet? No. I, I'm a writer. I also, um, let me see, I've contributed to the um, the anthology that we did. I've also released my own anthology. And recently I had something published in The Big Issue, uh, which was a little um, literary piece. But usually I do, you know, horror and sci-fi. Yeah. Wonderful. And I am hosting for today. I am the Dark Lord Paddy Boylan. I am a technical writer, bid writer, editor uh creative writing teacher and i write fiction and at the moment i'm i'm putting more time to write writing fiction and trying to write every day and so far that's yeah you've been killing that by the way yeah thank you it it helps that i've got (laughs) a lot of freelance work at the moment so and why am i giving everyone silly titles well if you haven't read the title of the podcast which makes you a braver person than i today we're doing a very deep dive into the very long and sparkly rabbit hole that is high fantasy the subgenre high fantasy. Before we dive in, why don't we go around and see what you fine gentlemen slash lords slash kings have been reading and watching and playing and doing? Um, Alex, what have you been? What have you been up to? What's on your menu? Yeah, um, I have been reading uh, a book that was actually recommended to me in a in a podcast of your by um, Catherine Jinx. It's, it's a book called New Grub Street. I ordered it mm. and it's literally, it is literally about, um, it's an, a mid 1850s uh, literary fiction novel about writers in London. And it is uh, surprising and disheartening how little has changed. It's all about money. Like the whole <laughs> thing is just all about money and how writers can't get enough of it because People don't pay writers very well. Um, it is mm. it is disturbingly relevant. Like you would be amazed. Um, but I'm really enjoying that. And then I'm That's also playing a roguelike called um, called uh, the Gungeon. Enter the Gungeon, which is great. Ah, yeah, I know Enter the Gungeon. Okay, really very recommend cool. it. It's very fun, very silly, very nice. 
Matan, we haven't seen you in a while, man. How's how's it how's it going and what have you been reading? Uh I'm good. I've I've done something I've mostly haven't done before in my career as a reader. And I took a book I really like and I took a pause. And that book is The Mirror and the Light, which has been yes. phenomenal. I've I've loved it. But I is, took a break because that is Hillary Mantel's third book in the Wolf Hole trilogy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh Two of the books won uh, Man's Booker Prize, I believe. That good. It's really a good series. Um, yes, it is. I just felt like my my mental headspace demanded something less grim, and I uh, I picked up the Inheritance Cycle, uh, Aragon, which I have never read before. Uh, I, I'm gonna butcher the writer's name. I'm sorry, Polini, uh, Christopher Polini, perhaps Aragon. Anyone? The no, dragon, I, like back from middle yeah, yeah, the dragon, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, and it was turned into a series of films, or one film that a uh, one flopped. one film that mixed reviews. Uh, it wasn't great, well, but it wasn't great. I just <laughs> I, I picked up the book at the bookstore, opened page one, and it gave me that fresh feeling of innocent high fantasy, like mm. which we're going to speak of more. And I'm I'm really enjoying it. You know, just something lighter. Is that a is that a YA series? I always imagined it was. I mean, I think no, it no is. Judgment. I don't I mean... think, but I just think YA is a genre that has been kind of created a bit after, like late twenty tens. You know, yes. more thinking about Hunger Games and that kind mm. of stuff. When he wrote it, I don't think YA was a targetable audience in the same way that it became later, right? Mm. Uh, with divergence and all that kind of stuff. And at the, at the risk of running along, I mean why it's if it's good it's still well written and it's still engaging stories and just because mm. it has absolutely mm-hmm. typically adolescent protagonists i don't think excludes people from enjoying it i think the idea that adults absolutely. should be YA is is quite silly myself oh that's uh all the harry Love potter it. heads there we <laughs> yeah, go like that's that's like most of that's YA. yeah i should really read harry potter if not all of it so i can actually yeah i like all of it yeah <laughs> understand what you guys are talking about um phoenix what about you what have you been up to i've been reading a book on um witchcraft in southern europe which is where i oh my God, live yeah. at the moment yeah it's really really cool so you're it's in talking spain about the old religion yeah barcelona yeah. specifically um and so yeah it's talking it focuses on italy because it like and the i don't know it's just so wild to see how the first it's like the first the first religion and indigenous people that the church took over was its own country, was the Roman church taking influence from the old religion and things like that, the indigenous practices of Italy and stuff like that. And, you know, just, you know, it's the development, the growth of what is what we now think of as witchcraft was formed alongside the growth of the Catholic church. So it's this, it's this weird dynamic. It's really cool um but anyway beside that i won't go too deep into that we've been reading that um as well as i just finished it was a an act of love i made myself watch all of adventure time because it was something i loved Ah, growing up and i really just i wanted to get to the end even though i there was a lot i didn't like i finished that literally today i'm also playing um baldur's gate with a friend Ah. a little bit um and i just picked up world of warcraft again after many many years it's God one, help you. it's something my it's something no it's cool it's something <laughs> my brother and i share like we've we've 
our relationship uh, was forged over World of Warcraft. So it's a way we catch up. Like I put on a call and we talk and we play World of Warcraft. And yeah. it's really lovely, actually. That That's nice. Yeah. Hardcore mode. So if we die, we die. I have to make a new character. Oh, wow. You can die uh, together. Yeah, that's intense. I, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sorry. That game is just... <laughs> That game is just, uh, I don't want to say ruined, but I just cannot hear that name without imagining Eric Cartman. Mm. You know, like it's just, <laughs> mm, they're, they're inherently <laughs> connected in my brain. Less said about that, yeah. the better. Also, high fantasy. So maybe you can work World of Warcraft in because that's, I mean, that I would argue that's one of the biggest high fantasy IPs, worlds, titles in mm. the world. Um, mm. Not at the level of Tolkien, yeah. but probably not too far off, to be honest. So myself, um, I just finished, and I don't mean finished reading, I mean uh, put down and stopped reading, um, a book by Salman Rushdie, which, so Salman Rushdie, you guys have probably heard of him, he's um, a very unfortunately controversial author, uh, author of Midnight's Children and the Satanic Verses, which has a very controversial history I won't get into. I've really been looking forward to reading his stuff for a while. I couldn't find any of his big titles, so instead I picked up his most recent book, um, Victory City. I was really looking forward to this, not least because all the reviews were glowing. Like, they raved about it. Didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy it. Hmm. It's it's sort of written in almost like a like a fairy tale style. It's sort of um, retelling. It's like a mythologizing of this uh, medieval Indian city and people and culture. It sounds right up my wheelhouse, but I, I found the prose strange... I found the characters unrelatable and flat, and I feel crazy because everyone, everyone but me, thinks this book is a masterpiece. So I, hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I I put it down. I stopped reading it. Sadly, I started skimming, and then happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, ladies and gents, before we jump into the episode topic proper, I want to. Before we jump into the episode topic proper, we have a contact form in the episode notes down in the description, and we would love to know if there are any top shelf high fantasy novels that we've missed in our conversation going forward that you think we should know about, or any interesting points about high fantasy that you would love to discuss, and we'd be very happy to bring them up in the next episode, or discuss them one-on-one, or to make it part of the show in some way. We want to hear from you. Raise up your voices. So... High fantasy, ladies and gentlemen, high fantasy. What is high fantasy, first of all? Probably always best to start with the description. Have you guys ever heard the term epic fantasy as a subgenre name? Yeah, yeah that rings a bell. I haven't, mm. actually. I'm with I'm, Phoenix. I'm seeing lots of people online say that high fantasy is also epic fantasy. I'm seeing lots of people say that there's a sharp uh, demarcation. And not having an English degree and the history of writing essays on high fantasy, I'm not qualified to answer that. So I'm going to say that epic fantasy and high fantasy may be the same thing. What what do both of them have in common? Well, high fantasy is defined by the epic nature of its setting or by the epic stature of its characters, themes, or plot. It's set in an alternate fictional world, which is not our own world, and this world is usually internally consistent, but its rules differ from that of our own world, i.e. Earth. Okay, so we'll, we'll drill down at that a little bit. But obviously, the name high fantasy implies that it is not low fantasy. Do you yes. guys, mm. if I say low fantasy, do you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I 
can tell you what it looks like, that's but good I <laughs> don't know if I can. That's like, often, I can tell what it smells like. That's often the only <laughs> way I think we can know a genre. But yeah. I don't know if I can, like, you know, make a table with it. But basically, as far as I get it, like, low fantasy is a world that is either our world or very similar to our world. Urban fantasy, like, you have elements of the unbelievable leaking into a setting that is similar mm. to ours. Almost like Diagon Alley in, in Harry Potter. I mean, it is London, but it isn't. Or uh, Neverwhere by uh, Neil Gaiman. You, you got London below. But high fantasy is like this completely different place. It might look like uh, medieval Europe, but it definitely isn't. It's inspired by our world, but it's definitely not. That's yeah. kind of how I see it. Well said. In my mind... I see I see high I see literary fiction and high fantasy as opposite ends on the same spectrum and okay, between like those that. two you have like di- you have literary fiction being like purely our world it's fiction that takes place in a replica of our world you dial it up a li- dial it up a little bit and you arrive at magic realism and then you dial it dial it up a little bit more and you arrive at low fantasy or urban fantasy and then you keep going and then until you arrive at high fantasy. <laughs> that's how it works in my mind. Mm. I think that's far off. That's an interesting spectrum, Phoenix. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't really speak to, to low fantasy versus high fantasy, to be honest. I, I think you might be the, the, the least inclined toward reading fantasy of all of us here, right, Alex? That's probably true. And I can tell mm. you why, but I'll, I'll wait until... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yes. We're going to touch on maybe the things that we don't love about high fantasy. I mean, I... I I do like it. I mean, lot. even saying that the short that the shots aren't fired is kind of shots fired. No, no, this is a me thing. It's it's very much not a not a genre thing. It's about me. It's it's nothing if not subjective. Um, I've also seen low fantasy called intrusion fantasy. Very strange title, but the idea Ooh. is you Whoa, yeah. a world that feels very like familiar it's... or very non-magical, but then magical elements intrude. And it also just occurred to me now that the difference in magical realism and low fantasy might be whether or not people are aware that there's magic or the, okay. whether they know that oh. like flying their horse, their winged horse over uh, Colombia is actually. <laughs> and you're going to involve Colombia in this. Of course, of course. So it's also set apart. Uh, high fantasy is also set apart from the sword and sorcery genre, uh, or the sword and sorcery subgenre, which you can think of pretty much like high fantasy, but grittier morally grayer uh usually not as sweeping in its scope and usually a lot more violent uh think conan the barbarian so um yes yeah My if, man if, conan. if high fantasy had a massive testosterone injection to drill down a little more these are the elements that high fantasy usually has usually because no genre is set in stone of course there's there's always exceptions to the rule so one a magical setting substantially different from our own real world. Can we all agree with that? Does that sound more or less like what high fantasy is? Yeah. I'm going to make an argument later on for Star Wars being high fantasy. I think it is. Sounds kind of ridiculous, but I think it's just got technology in place of magic and the force, which is Mm. magic. Um, Number two, a deep or seemingly deep invented history and or mythology. What about that? What do you guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to me like Tolkien is very responsible for that. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll touch on Tolkien, but I think he might have been one of the first to do the full, I'm going to invent a full sweeping history. I'm going to invent a mythology and work that yeah. into my books. Invent a language. I think, yes. I think Tolkien, 
Tolkien invented a mythology and then realized he should write a book for it. That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. He probably had that brewing in his head since he was an adolescent. Yeah. Number three, character themes and or plot that tend to be epic in nature. So what do we mean when we say epic, we mean big. The plot is usually we're going to save the world from the Dark Lord. The themes are grand battles of good and evil, like biblical in scale. The characters, if not necessarily great or great at the beginning, because that's an interesting high fantasy point we'll touch on, mm. include characters that are great. There is a really powerful wizard. There is the greatest swordsman in the world. There is the only person in the world that's ever ridden a dragon for like 2,000 years, what have you. What about that? Does that sound about right? The epic nature of the elements of high fantasy. Yeah, for sure. That, yeah. that definitely speaks to, to me in terms of an element of like, I, yeah, when you think of high fantasy, you think of, you think of big things, you think of big battles, you think of yep. uh, big powerful forces beyond anyone's scope, you know, of, of thing. like, yeah, you just think of like, yeah, Sauron versus, I mean, kind of versus Gandalf, not really, yeah. but um, yeah, but these big forces, these big players. I read, I skim read, I'll be honest, I skim read an interesting essay <laughs> that talked about high fantasy being uh, the child of Judeo-Christian religion. The, the central idea of good and evil is so rooted in Judeo-Christian religion. In high fantasy, you've always got like this force of evil or darkness, which stands in for like Satan and that dark side. And then you've got good, which stands in for like, you know, the forces of um, Judaism or Christendom. Anyway, I won't go on, but I, I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it inherits a lot of that that epic scale from, from those holy works. Before I disappear up my own ass, number four, often... <laughs> but not always, <laughs> takes place in a setting whose technological and cultural aspects are bottled after Europe, somewhere between the Middle Ages to the Iron Age. Now, again, I know there's always uh, exceptions mm. to this. You don't think it usually uh, does? Not usually? I think it used to. Ah, okay. Well, you might I have think a better that sense it, for modern yeah. fantasy than me. All right. Yeah, then I think in the last 15 years, you've seen plenty of, uh, of other things. Okay. I'm going to confess, I don't read a lot of modern high fantasy uh not not Some by choice it's just there's infinite number of books okay well what what's an example we'll of... talk about those yeah all right. oh we're going well, to examples no no, no I'm, I'm ready to add let's i am ready to advocate let's Wait, leave your own example star wars mm, okay okay i have yeah, the perfect true. test i have the perfect way to test whether star wars is fantasy or not okay nice ready yes alex do you like star wars <laughs> yeah, I, I like classic Star Wars. It's fine. No, it's not. It's not fantasy, man. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll kind of. I'll go into. I'll go into that. <laughs> Patty there. Um, I mean, look, I would. I would classify that as space opera. But let's say that the only difference between space opera and fi uh, and not Final Fantasy, high fantasy, is like sci-fi elements versus medieval elements. So, like, I think there's a case to be made for that being a Let's say the coin flip of, of high fantasy. Mm. Mm. Okay. I like that. It's a high fantasy, but number five, five, often, but not always. So again, none of these are firm rules. Uh, features non-human quote unquote races, such as elves, dwarves, orcs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this to me feels unequivocal. Yeah, not, all, not all high mm, fantasy has it, yeah. but they're typically going to have people with weird ears, right? That's true. <laughs> yeah. But fairies got their start. Yeah, exactly. And final point, it will typically feature 
fantastic beasts and where to find them, such as dragons, griffins, mm. giant sentient octopuses, and whatever. I mean, this, I think, is just a staple as last one. What is a high fantasy story without a good mythic beast invented by the author? Without otherwise? a giant sentient mm. octopus. <laughs> what is this book? I want to read that. I was hoping he was going to say octopus. I, I was mildly disappointed. <laughs> yeah. It's always octopuses that are sentient. I, look, I made that up. I don't, I'm not aware of any fantasy it's works. octopuses all the way down. Octopuses, but, but they Ooh, should. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, not to derail you. Uh, what about the Discworld series? Do they, do they, do they count as, as high fantasy? Do they? This, the the Dis- Discworld uh, series. Do of they course count they count as fantasy. Oh. What do you mean? High fantasy. High fantasy yeah, just because yeah. they're funny doesn't mean they're not fantasy. Yeah, I count okay. it as high fantasy. I would yeah, argue okay. that not they're, they're definitely playing with all of the tropes of high fantasy. It's If, if high fantasy yeah. didn't exist, Discworld didn't exist. Bit like satire, though. Yes, I don't know that they follow the plot and thematic elements of high fantasy, but it's got mm. all the trappings. It's wearing high fantasy costume, but it's coming out as yeah, yeah it's as... doing high fantasy drag. That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if you did have someone that was looking for a high fantasy novel, like they want to be swept away on an epic adventure, like that sort of flavor, I don't know that you would recommend that series i mm. i think you're right actually if you look at it from that perspective of like yeah someone's got a you know he's he's jonesing for some lord of the ring kind of stuff and you yeah. give him guards guards maybe he's like feeling mm-hmm. a little blue bold but yeah. Mm. yeah no no one's coming to coming to rinse wind for like the greatest hero of all time, <laughs> you know? but Tom, i'm just surprised <laughs> to hear you say blue bold of all people in the podcast i'm, I'm surprised <laughs> to hear your i'm sorry that, man yeah i'm sorry I'm not sorry. Okay, well, that that could be an interesting place to segue then into the the plot and structural elements of high fantasy because obviously we've described all the trappings there and all the clothes that high fantasy wears. I, I'm just going to do a dump from Wikipedia. I'm paraphrasing, so it's not it's not a total um, dump it. Not, pl- not plagiarism. No, I, I don't think it's plagiarism. Anyway, the AI doesn't know what I'm saying just yet. Many high fantasy stories are told from the viewpoint of our main hero. Okay, well, this world checks that. Often, much of the plot revolves around their heritage or mysterious nature, along with a world-threatening problem. Does this world do that? Eh, kind of. I don't think the problems are often world-threatening. I, mean, the, I think they're often much more mundane. The, they're yeah. city-threatening, you know. Yeah. There, there, there are issues. There are dragons. But I know, think the not, scope is deliberately not, hilariously small not, often. Yeah, mm, but they're not yeah. catching stray dogs, okay? They're, they're... <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. Stop true. with the slander. It's it's not slander. This is not slander. Anyway, um, in many in many novels, the hero is an orphan or unusual sibling. I have no idea what Wikipedia means by unusual sibling. Unusual uh... sibling? And frequently portrayed with an extraordinary talent for magic or combat. And I'm gonna add, even though that doesn't yeah. necessarily manifest at the beginning of the story. I don't know what unusual sibling is. I can't think of any examples. Yeah. Well, no. I disagree. That would be a podcast idea, unusual siblings and where to find them. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of love that. Phoenix, what do you disagree with? Uh, Just the unusual sibling thing feels just far too specific for it to be. I know they're not. I don't think they're. They're. They're not saying that that's a staple of all high fantasy, are they? Or is that's just like a? It's typical. It doesn't specify because you, this is what they have I mean, according to Wikipedia. I'm, I, I mean, I'd say things that it often has, but I don't know what it. Yeah, means. 
I mean, I would just, I would instead, I guess, distill that down a little bit more to just say that usually maybe the main character is a bit of an oddball, a bit of an underdog. Like usually it has maybe that element and that's kind of the weird element. As well as I, I love Lord of the Rings as a counterexample to the usually has special magical powers or abilities because Frodo's pretty useless to the end Very unless true. you unless mm. unless you do say he has I, an especially powerful heart or whatever he has that resilience I, to the ring. Well, Matana, see with your hand up one second though. We're going to touch later on <laughs> why Frodo's innocence in the high fantasy mm. kind of structure might actually be a power of his. And it's an interesting yeah. point that I want to discuss with you guys. But you're right. He doesn't have power in combat. He doesn't have power in magic and he never gains them. Yes. Um, Matan. Hi. You, uh, you uh, oh, sorry. I just wanted to say that uh, Phoenix, <laughs> I love that you brought it up. I love that you brought up Frodo because he's such a special protagonist. And if you look at Lord of the Rings, you know, a lot of high fantasy does the sin of wish fulfillment, of basically uh, creating a character that is crafted to make you feel like that's you and mm. you, know, you insert yourself into that world and you are getting the letter to go to Hogwarts and that stuff and you are riding the dragon. Lord of the Rings doesn't really do that. Lord of the Rings, maybe it's because of the the amount of the, the size of the cast and how different they are from each other. You don't think Lord of the Rings does that? I don't think anyone wants to be Frodo or Sam going to Mordor. You know, I don't think anyone's See, dreaming I, about like Gandalf. Though he, he gets thrown off a mountain by a fire demon. I don't think anyone's having a good time. And he comes back like in an evolved form. Okay, so let, let's Tolkien was a conservative middle class man in Edwardian England who probably liked his second breakfasts and liked staying indoors and didn't want to leave the Shire. He loved went- Elevenses. He was called up to fight in in World War One, right? I I think if even if we don't feel like we're Frodo, the intention of the author was certainly to write a character who who we immediately relate with. I mean, I think he Frodo is a big I, part of himself. I, I can relate with. Frodo, I agree with absolutely. that. You guys, I, you guys don't. I agree with that part. I I want to clarify. I think that a lot of the characters are very very relatable. My point is that like I don't feel like he wrote that fantasizing about this like almost vr isekai experience Uh that we sometimes see from fantasy books we're like you're the chosen one you're gonna save the world and you said wish fulfillment earlier it's not wish fulfillment not at all i I don't find it to be wish fulfillment Mm. Uh, there's no mary sue's in it you know exactly what alex said let let's define mary sue who's who's got a good definition for that uh just a character that's good at everything okay uh sorry patrick rodfuss i know you're on our side but quote quote is a mary sue okay quote is good at everything he does uh quote from the from the name of the wind yes there's actually a lot of disillusionment in the sense that Mm. it's like you have this image like Patrick Rothfuss sets you up with an image of Quoth as being a prodigy, but then he actually actively undermines himself yes. as saying, like for his entrance exam to the school, he was like, yes. I I did very well on that exam, full on cheated, but I was doing what I needed to do to make sure I got in. But it's not this image of just like, oh, like he touches it and it turns to gold, which is what we all secretly want is just to be this prodigy. And he's a fallen Mary Sue because when we see him in the story, yes. not really a spoiler, yeah. he's yeah. in a state but, of having fallen from grace. But he also had a scene where he's playing the lute so beautifully <laughs> that everybody burst into tears. Yes, yes. No, I, I think yeah. he was at one point. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. He, he's a Mary I'll, Sue. But... I'll give you. I'll give you two thirds Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take. I'll it. give I'll you take a it. scrappy Mary Sue. 
It's it's a character who's, move on. who's good at everything with no seeming flaws, and they come up every now and again. Don't know why. Don't know why the where the term Mary Sue came from. Anyway, moving on. Um, so even though they often have a great talent for combat or magic or gain it over time, they usually begin the story young. Uh, if not as an actual child, then portrayed as being very weak and or useless. Does this resonate with us for our understanding of high fantasy? We're talking about the protagonist yeah. too? Yeah, I think so. And that, that's just typical story arc stuff, right? In order to become yeah. great, it, it it only really resonates if they, if they begin at the opposite of greatness. Yeah. I think that this is why there's such a, a big automatic like glom on with video games as well, because there's this progression uh, where, it's, where you start really weak and you get stronger and stronger until you're just this tanky machine. Like, um, and I think that for falls into the wish fulfillment element as well. Because I do think the wish fulfillment thing is a big part of a couple of, you yeah. know, some, some high fantasy. I probably can't speak to as much as you guys, but um, I think there's a really good tie in there, which is maybe why people have been like, ah, we can like, you know, like World of Warcraft and and all the myriad, you know, League of Legends, all the myriad sort of um, high fantasy based games. I like the term hyper fantasy. It's It's got elements of everything thrown in and it's sort of mm. fantastic, but it's, from every direction of culture there is a wonderful and deeply strange series of books i don't remember what the series called but the first one is called shadow of the torture by gene wolf um so strange it's definitely medieval fantasy but only because the earth has gone through so many cycles of rising and falling that the mad yeah, leftover spoiler. technology is basically magic it's not really a spoiler for mm. example there's this like <laughs> there's this desert of sparkling sand and if you get really close, every grain has a different color. They call it polychrome, and it's oceans of ancient discarded plastic ground down from all the old civilizations. Whoa, that's really cool. Yeah, wow. and that's, that's all cool. cool. Shadow of the Torture that's is cool. a trip, man. It's so strange. Anyway, so what was the last point? Uh, yeah, beginning. Uh, building power, starting. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, however, they mature rapidly, experience a considerable gain in fighting or problem-solving abilities along the way. I mean, we just touched on this. Yeah, that's that's what they do. They grow in power. Mm. Final point from Wikipedia. Big props to Wikipedia for this. The progress of the story leads to the characters learning the nature of the unknown forces against them, often a being of great power and malevolence. The villains in such story are usually completely evil and unrelatable, what do we think? Uh, um, uh, I, I agree, but I also think that probably less and less true as... as... As you were going by, uh, I think there are some modern fantasy books coming out that you know they take part of these points that you mentioned, and then they would they be have more freedom fantasy, or are they uh, then string so. into different genres? Okay, interesting. Just the natural evolution of it, you know, like mm. uh, even even Tolkien, when we think of his villains in terms of absolute evil, even Tolkien, when you look at characters like Sauron or or Gollum, even he had a lot of greys uh, splattered between the white and black. Agreed. Although I think there is an ultimate evil in a lot of these things that is uh, unreasonably yeah. evil. I mean... Above. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Sauron is irredeemably... Uh, well, I mean, we talked about this in the villains episode as well, the idea of like elemental mm. evil, quote unquote. But even beyond Sauron, like his world implicitly has uh, an elemental evil. It's like, uh, it just exists. There is darkness in the world and it breeds darkness. Yeah, evil as its own thing. Again, kind of like the whole um, the devil being, you know, the the force of mm -hmm. evil in in certain religions. I do I do agree with Matan though that like um, 
this does feel like a definition of high fantasy to me, but it feels like a very specific flavor of high fantasy, specifically a flavor that does feel a bit antiquated at this time. Like we are kind of evolving. And it, I guess like if someone were to set out to write a high fantasy book, yeah, um, I feel like if you want to appeal to the modern audience, it wouldn't be beneficial to you to adopt a lot of those qualities. And chances are those wouldn't be the, uh, I don't know. So like, it's just the things that interest us are a bit more because we do like feedback off of each other. And so that feels like an older definition that since we had, like since then we have subverted it so many times where we want something a bit more nuanced now. So we want that same structure, but we want it like just colored a bit differently. Yeah. I, I think that's accurate. I can give a very, very short example of one of the most successful modern fantasies. And that's the Mistborn uh, books by ah. Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, okay. And the the first book, The Final Empire, depicts this fight of this uh, this gang, this crew against an evil god. Uh, at first glance, you got another Sauron on your hands. You know, he's an evil god, absolute mm. evil. God, god in, sport... in quotation marks, kind of, right? No, 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 literally god. He's literally god. He's got godlike powers. He's the god of the world. And, and in the second book, spoilers alert, we get his background, what he was like before he was an evil god. He was a man that bad things happened to him. So even even that trope of the absolute evil, now mm. we kind of look behind the curtain mm. and we get to see more that maybe if Sauron was written today, you would get an episode explaining Sauron before he was corrupted. Mm. Well, the IP is owned by Disney, so so look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is Mistborn high fantasy? I would see. I, I would definitely say it's high fantasy. It's got its own world. It's got a character that starts with no powers and becomes mm -hmm. almost the most no, not almost. She does become the most powerful magician fighter in the in the universe. Yep. Magic is Good very evil. Completely different world. Uh, races. You got everything. Hmm. Fair. Yeah. No. And that's that's a perfectly good point. And it's it's interesting to see how the genre does change. Like I agree, it is still high fantasy. If if some of these elements change over time, um, perhaps the genre itself is just changing. Or perhaps we need to call it post-high fantasy because adding post to the beginning of a term is usually mm. a good idea when we don't know how to categorize it. <laughs> so moving on, we can't talk about high fantasy without talking about Tolkien, right? Because Tolkien was the first high fantasy author, right? No, uh, Tolkien was not the first uh, high fantasy author. But, well, I'm glad. Jump skill. <laughs> 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 Sorry, listeners. I, I was I thought going he was. to say yes. Yeah, I the the conventional wisdom has always told me that Tolkien was the first that he started high fantasy, but apparently he's not. Again, you know, when Tolkien was writing, the term high fantasy didn't even exist. Um, from what I've read online, it was coined in an essay. I don't have the name in 1971, quite a bit later than Tolkien, right? So anything we call yeah. high fantasy is necessarily retroactively looking back and applying a label to works that the authors might not have applied themselves. Um, mm. Tolkien called his work, where is it? Um, heroic romance. Heroic romance? From memory, that's huh. the term he used. Um, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I agree with him. I, I feel it. Yeah. I think it fits well I enough. Get it. I like that. But uh, there were authors before Tolkien who were writing stories that hit all of the dates we just talked about. And uh, it's hard to say which is the first, but a lot of people seem to think that an author called William Morris, interestingly, a British author, because I think high fantasy does did largely come out of Britain. 
don't know why, but that's fun. Uh, he wrote a work, well, he wrote many works, which could now be regarded as high fantasy, but one, The Well at the World's End is often regarded as sort of like the archetypal work of William Morris. Uh, the Well at the World's End is the tale of young Ralph, the youngest son of King Peter of Upmeads, the good King Peter. Bored of provincial life, Ralph sets out to explore the world, journeying to such locations as the Wood Perilous. So what a wonderful name. Meaning characters such as the sexually appealing Lady of Abundance and the evil Lord wait, Gandalf. Wait, Go ahead, Matan. No, hold on, what? Wait. I was going to be surprised by the Lady of Abundance and then you just said Lord, excuse me, Gandalf? Yes, Lord Gandalf, with an O, Gandalf, with a swift white horse whose name is Silverfax. Shut no. up. What? Silverfax owned by Gandalf. Get yes. out of here. Yes. No. Very this is almost as big as Ali revealing the third Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is wild. This is effective. I mean, this is shaking my reality more than Ali's reveal about the Nolan brothers. <laughs> Gandalf was an, evil, was an evil king or an evil lord. I don't think it has any type what? of like, relation to Gandalf. Somebody, Somebody wrote assuming... this retroactively. Somebody must have wrote Internet this lies. I think it's more of a homage. This has been stealing. This just uh, proves time travel is real. That's all it does, okay? Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, I agree with you, Matan. You know, we think found them. the Lord of the Rings is the foundational stone, but it's interesting to see that earlier works had this really big influence on on Tolkien and not just things like uh, Beowulf actual works of quote-unquote high fantasy were influencing the guy and uh William Morris is writing some 40 years before um Tolkien so aren't they wow. fun facts fun silver facts <laughs> <laughs> okay this is this has got me asking questions now to okay. myself around or like I feel like yeah everything is a lie th yes. this must yes. this not, everything's a lie no but I wonder <laughs> the the case with Silver facts and shadow facts. Now I'm wondering if, like, um, I wonder if facts is some, if there's some entomology thing there mm. that is just very applicable to horses. And it makes sense for Tolkien to be like, even if he read that work, to be like, well, I would also like to use facts with my horse because Phoenix, it's epic. He's, con he's called he Gandalf. Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. That one I, that one Gandalf. I can't. I think that ship has sailed, man. I yeah. can't. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. I can't, We're too kind. We're allowed to reference. I think. I think that's fine. I think. I think a little. Yeah, it's okay. Is a good it's thing. it's, it's yeah. an homage, you know. Like it, clearly, <laughs> it sounds like uh, you know Tolkien had a really like a significant uh, influence and love for this work. So it's it's not surprising mm -hmm. to me that he would yeah. he would reference it. And I don't even think it's bad. It's kind of just a bit of a like a wink and a nod, being like, "Hey, see what, see what I did there." Yeah. The yeah. Gandalf thing is a lot. Though. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a lot. No, he changed one letter. But I mean, think uh, about how many completely think about name. how many people think about how many people use the name Fenrir for some wolf character they have, and it's like that's I mean yeah, that's, that's like Norse sure. mythology. It's a bit further back, yeah. but it's like that name's used so much. You know, and at this point, Tolkien kind of is our mythology. I mean, obviously not in a literal sense, mm. but you know, like if we we can draw from these works that are omnipresent. I mean, the number of works now that are set in like a tribal vaguely middle east and vaguely vaguely post-apocalyptic desert setting because of dune like i do it with my core vaguely deserts yeah mm. I, I mean it, it is funny though imagine calling someone like frito now like <laughs> who, who has, has like you know i mean i guess if you recontextualized what their role was like they made you made that like the golem character that might be like interesting which sounds like what, but it would be a stretch to like make a main character and call him frito 
<laughs> I feel like the, this topic, the topic of this podcast, just changed from high fantasy to an investigative, you know, uh, yeah. quest <laughs> to find the truth behind whatever the hell the, was going the, on there. The deep dive. When was that one written? Uh, that one was written in. I don't have the date written, but I've got a note that it was about forty years before. And Tolkien was, I think, Lord uh, of the. The Hobbit was published in something like thirty-six. Lord of the Rings was published in something like fifty-one. So eighteen nineties, I'm gonna say nineteen tens. Oh, was it before he was born? Was before he was like it was published or before he was born? Listeners, if you want to come in with the contact form and correct our ignorance, then please do. Please correct our ignorance. (laughs) Please correct our ignorance. Please Please. correct our ignorance. So, um, Tolkien didn't establish the high fantasy genre depending on how you define it but by god has he been influential that there i don't think you can have a fantasy work oh, now yeah. that is not under his very very long shadow the list of elements that he if not invented then popularized will include but is not limited to depictions of elves and dwarves of norse mythology as quote-unquote races that live alongside quote-unquote men and I love that it's a race of men. I always found that hilarious. Can you have a dwarven man? No, a man is a different thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sexist. Uh, dwarves and elves disliking each other. I mean, that's that's very common in, in high fantasy now, especially the more stereotypical yeah. stuff. And that came from Tolkien, as far as I can make out. Uh, the world being doomed because of a dark lord. I don't think many or any high fantasies before him really used that. Or if they did, it wasn't this common thing. And now a stand in Sauron is absolutely standard high fantasy fare, right? Like, what's high fantasy without a good Dark Lord? Uh, and that a plucky band of good-hearted heroes must defeat the Dark Lord to save the world. Again. Must be plucky. They must be plucky, yeah. They need to be plucky. <laughs> Ply only if plucky. Exactly. Should have a graph showing like the scale of pluckiness and how likely you are to save the universe <laughs> yeah exactly for success. like an, an xy graph <laughs> yeah they, they gotta yeah, have that's a the that's off. the whole basis that's the whole basis of dungeons and dragons is you get together oh, a yeah. plucky little group and you go on your adventure yeah. pluck them from whatever they were doing it is mm-hmm. dungeon dragons is well we'll talk about that in a little upcoming uh thing because yes it's it's so so very in the shadow of Tolkien. Um, having mm-hmm. maps at the start of the book, I mean that is huge hey. now. Was he the first author yeah. to do it? Don't know. I'd be surprised, but I don't know. But he was the one that popularized that for high fantasy and fantasy in general. I just I kind of want to. I love Tolkien. I, I've read his books many times, but I do want to push back a little mm-hmm. bit because I I feel like uh, if someone were to read Lord of the Rings. And then set out to read to write uh, a fantasy book. I think that would be a flaming failure, because there there are so many steps that have been taken since. Like like Phoenix mentioned, I think it would be like trying to become a, a math professor without learning algebra. Like you're skipping crucial steps in the development of the genre. And I think in the 70s and 60s, you did see a lot of Lord of the Ring knockoffs. Uh, I don't want to accuse anyone. I think I think sort of Shannara was accused for being like a very close knockoff. He had the wheel of time. And I think that worked for 20, 30 years. But I think that high fantasy in its Tolkien-esque form, I think that's like if you're a writer and you're listening to us, I think that it's very important that you read the stuff that's been coming out in the 10, 15, even 15 years starts to feel old. Really, 
2010 and above, you just see how much the genre has changed. Uh, and led by none other than Patrick Rothfuss, really, with the name of the wind that's kind of mm. been showing what high fantasy can look like by creating this hybrid of high-low fantasy almost. Mm. So that's just the pushback. I, I agree. Um, he's so resonant now that maybe to copy him does seem too familiar. But then again, I wouldn't be surprised if there's... It talks, sounds a little gross sometimes to think about markets, but we do need to consider it. Um, a market for things yeah. that are very traditionally high fantasy. You know, the formula works. People mm -hmm. like the formula. Having said that, though, I, I agree. I mean, we, we should probably mix it up if we can, right? There's um one more point which I have to this list of like big things that Tolkien, if not invented, then popularized. And that is as a the central MacGuffin being some kind of piece of magical jewelry or magical accessory or uh, something like that. Um, do one of you guys want to give a definition for what a MacGuffin is? This is actually the first time I'm hearing this word. No, really? Mm -hmm. It's uh, uh showing not Phoenix. MacGuffin, get the MacGuffin. The thing that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Mm but nobody needs exactly they they want it because uh they might, an example. Need, it. They might need it yeah okay no, the, the no. ring so, sorry i'm gonna cut you off in terms of let you finish the, the, the strict definition <laughs> of a, a mcguffin is a um a an item that moves the plot forward um that's go. really all it is it doesn't it doesn't mm. have any mm. practical value to people yep. within the story they can't use it, it but might. it moves the plot forward they can't they can't use it i mean they uh -huh. can use the ring of power uh you know okay that's, i mean yeah that's fair you you can yeah you you can physically put oh, on on the ring okay uh like but you can't really because what use does it really like it, it turns you into a shriveled monster that eats fish heads yeah it's, a, it's <laughs> cursed yeah it's, it's, it's <laughs> super useful thing. yeah uh, only very very like uh gandalf could use it uh, like but only he, very very powerful beings could actually but, use it. Gandalf couldn't use it because remember remember the first scene where he's like, no, don't give it to me. He didn't want it because oh, yes, he yes. could use it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean because it would have corrupted him, right? Isn't that the point? Like it would have corrupted him, but he like for example, if he put it on, it wouldn't have turned him invisible. He would have actually uh, worn it, and he would have actually been able to siphon its power like Sauron could. Oh wow. Oh, it I only didn't know that. that's, that's cool. Yeah, hmm. could only Gandalf in... do that? Could Gandalf do what? <laughs> could Gandalf <laughs> siphon <laughs> the powers of the Ring? I'm just asking. I, I, I want it. You know what? I'm we're we're getting into the weeds now. Hashtag Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the train goes Phoenix on the wheels. Actually, in the weeds. <laughs> going to guide the train out of the forest <laughs> and onto the Thank rails. Thank you, Patty. <laughs> I, I saw red there for a second. I don't know what happened. We need to correct the outrage. And from Tolkien, more or less, was born Dungeons and Dragons. Even if people don't know what it is, they'll have heard the term before. Uh, a lot of people will think it's a video game. It's not a video game. The fantasy role-playing tabletop game, where players take on the role of wizards, warriors, elves, dwarfs, and etc., and delve into dungeons, slay dragons, and speak in silly voices while rolling dice. I know I just called you guys up for into the weeds but fun fact did you know that in the first edition of dungeon dragons you could play a warrior a wizard or an elf or a dwarf you could be a wizard or an elf there was no such thing as an elven wizard or a dwarven father. oh my wow. gosh yeah because yeah. wizards are inherently elven yes and elves are mm. just inherently elf so i'm going to argue that without dungeons and dragons the game which i think was invented in the 70s around then high fantasy would not have proliferated nearly so widely into video games and therefore into popular culture in general. The whole idea of leveling up 
which now is has gone from video games to a common like people will say oh i've really leveled up in my skills yeah. they might not even know that's a video game thing that comes yeah. from dungeons and dragons as far as i'm aware and listeners correct me if i'm wrong dungeon dragons are the first thing to do that and video games wow. took that as well as the idea of hit points for example hit and miss as wow as whether you do damage yeah, yeah. dungeons and dragons started a lot there are a lot of um influential nerds and it helped a lot of them were math nerds so they went into mm. parroting um Alex, you talked before about how video games really simulate that power curve in high fantasy world, starting as like kind of like a level zero mook, but then eventually becoming yep. the high lord of such and such to save the world. Yeah, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons again, arguably started that in game form. You start level one, a very meek warrior, wizard, whatever, and eventually you get to, well, maybe get to the esteemed level 20 where you can take on massive dragons and demigods and and whatnot mm. yeah and i'd say probably uh jrpgs japanese rpg uh, yeah. role-playing mm. games japanese uh, role-playing games as a video game um concept really took that and ran with it yes uh and that has helped sort of permeate into the greater culture as well like you know things like oh my god i remember what it's called is it dragon quests i listened to a whole podcast i mean that sounds about right in the morning but yeah, there's a bunch of them that would it would take this D and D concept, and you'd have a party, and it would, it would basically be an algorithmized um, Dungeons and Dragons game, and you do this big quest around the map. Um, but I think that had a big influence as well, and that eventually came to to the West also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We love our JRPGs, even if we don't know that we love them. Like even if we've not specifically played one. Uh, all in all, because of these cultural influences and high fantasy coming at us from all directions, arguably high fantasy is, if not bigger than it's ever been, then a, a massive thing in culture. I mean, even if the following aren't necessarily high fantasy, they certainly bear the trappings of high fantasy. Um, Game of Thrones, The Witcher, Star Wars, and I'm going to keep flogging this dead horse, uh, <laughs> yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender? I think it ticks a lot of the high fantasy boxes. The, the main one it doesn't tick is the the Eastern influence. That's like the main thing. The Western influence. Um, the Eastern no, the influence. Eastern influence. Okay, it has the yeah. Eastern okay, influence. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, but that, I don't think high fantasy has to. Yeah. Have well, okay. And that would actually be its magic system is actually founded on the chakra system and a system that oh. is actually known in our world. That That's another thing that would distinguish it, I would say. But you could argue that the, the way, magic of like Gandalf and things comes from the Western conception of magic, right? Spellbooks and grimoires and alchemy with potions. Mm, yeah. So yeah. circle it back, it's rooted in witchcraft and stuff like that. And yeah, how the yes, church yes. changed it. But that that's that's my point, because um I think that fantasy, especially the stuff coming out right now, it's not we need I think we need to separate high fantasy from European fantasy or European based fantasy because mm. you got stories coming out like ember in the ashes which is like a combination of uh roman uh based fantasy it's got more roman mm. elements but also a lot of uh, mediterranean middle eastern elements like genies and that kind of stuff mm. and uh, people okay. are just going wild with it and really uh i think it's beautiful like just because we've seen we've seen a lot of knights in shining armor slaying yes. dragons how about yes. we see uh i don't know a Roman samurai. in a shining armor. Yeah. Yeah, or a samurai. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. These genre twists are what make it fresh and interesting, I think. And I haven't seen a lot of that myself personally, but it makes perfect sense. I hadn't heard of the, uh, well, sort of had 
Wuxia, is that it? W-U-X-I-A. It's Chinese, uh, um, I think it's martial arts fantasy. I've read some people say it is high fantasy, some people say it isn't. But yeah, I mean, nothing to do with European Middle Ages. It's all monks and Chinese martial arts and mysticism and definitely has roots in the real world, but is often fictional setting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Wuxia, fun to look up. We're coming into a close now, but um, the wonderful website, tvtropes.com, which I love this site. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. It's it's so, so good. clever and witty and true. Anyway, um, it gave a very interesting uh, point about the nature of the protagonist's victory in high fantasy. I touched on this at the beginning of the show, so I want to elaborate a little bit. So I'm just going to quote straight up from TV Tropes. Okay, so in high fantasy, fantasy, the, the protagonist often wins by the following, and I want to see what you guys think about this. Victory is not achieved through force of arms. The main feature distinguishing high fantasy from heroic fantasy. It is also not achieved through wide-ranging strategy, logistics, and political and military conflicts, which is generally the case in low fantasy. Essentially, if Aragorn had killed Sauron in hand-to-hand combat, that would have been heroic fantasy. And if Gondor had beaten Mordor by having more allies, better strategy, innovative tactics, and a better trained army, that would have been low fantasy. Instead, in high fantasy... Victory is achieved through the efforts of a small number of characters acting against great odds, and a supporting leader or a reluctant hero will achieve it instead of the, say, rough-hewn barbarian of Conan the Barbarian or Beowulf. So I think they're trying to say that the ultimate victory is not achieved by overwhelming force or combat. What do you guys think of that as a high fantasy thing? To me, that almost just kind of feels like an evolution of the genre. Like it would be, you know, like that, what you just described would be the subversion of what maybe some of the fantasy that came before it would well, be. Well, I said, which is before, when high fantasy would be invented. The Frodo's power is almost that he isn't a warrior or a wizard, that he's innocent. Mm. Ultimately, he saves the day by throwing the ring into Mordor. The only way he can throw it in is by being the humble and innocent one. The fact that he is I'm with small, you. That he doesn't seek power. Uh, I'm with strong. you, but change it to no? Sam. Please just change it to Sam. Change it to Sam. Oh, well, okay. Sure. Frodo takes want? the ring, goes wild with it. You know, he says, screw this. I'm going to be the dark hobbit lord. Sam, true Sam true. saves the day. Okay. But mm. point still stands. That's no, but so any other thoughts? I, I on agree this with idea? what you said. I, I agree. I see it. I definitely see it. In Star Wars, uh, the Emperor is slain by his own Darth Vader, ultimately. The the villain underling, through the power of love for his son, throws the Emperor into a pit. Luke Skywalker doesn't defeat the Emperor through a lightsaber battle. He defeats him through the power of like family and love and familial bond. Friendship. Yeah, yeah. because Star mm. Wars is high fantasy. I'm going to keep saying it. Yeah, any, yeah, other, any other thoughts on that, that particular point? Because it's an interesting one, and I can see it, I can see it being contentious. Do we have any other examples of high fantasy works where that's the case or not the case? I'm I'm now honestly just curious if that is if that is genuinely a staple of high fantasy or if it just so happened that high fantasy as a genre was invented at this stage in our subversion mm-hmm. of the genre. And that's kind of what I'm wondering. I have no answers. And then the question to that is the subversion of what genre then? Are we just talking about fantasy in general? Mm. Um, of just yeah i guess fantasy in general or that mm. sort of trope against like um 
I don't know, the idea of, you know, medieval armies and those sorts of things were written about before, but maybe the idea of what was interesting was more just like head-to-head -head combat and that sort of thing. And the solution was just gain allies, build up your army, blah, 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 blah. And, that, and then as we continued to explore the genre, it was, well, we want to see the underdog who slips through the lines and defeats it in an unconventional way. Mm. And maybe that's where we arrived I don't know. Which is almost now a trope unto itself. Like, I don't know about you guys, mm. but I feel now like if Disney did a high, a high fantasy uh, thing, it would very much be like the hero would win through the power of love and friendship. Like, it almost feels like a cliche now. Yeah, I, I think it's still very powerful. Actually, yeah, you, you couldn't well. because that would undermine their character. You know? Yes. Like, that's yes. one thing I've always noticed, like, you in, in with protagonists, and I find it really frustrating <laughs> in a way. Like, you can't. Like even if the the, the villain deserves to the die, villain kills they need to die either by their own hand yeah, or some yeah. horrible accident. It's, yeah. it's like Goku, you know, like very convenient. No, no, let's yeah, it's let's, it's very let's pile on it's Goku. Like, why not? Like, he, like, yeah, he's like, no, Frieza. <laughs> we could have made this go on for another forty episodes. Anyway, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yes, they could. Yeah, I, I I really agree with Alex. I feel like it's almost the Disney cop out of like. The villain's gonna die, but the hero's not gonna be responsible. It's the villain who's gonna push too far and slip and fall off the tower. And Man. it's like the way to eliminate the <laughs> villain without having blood on the hands of the hero, which is mm. kind of cheap, you know? Like, I mean, mm, if you're gonna definitely. get the character... Have, take some responsibility, you know? Yeah, you yeah. push her down the tower. <laughs> she made your life miserable, Rapunzel, you know? At the same time, I, I don't know that I'm ever bored of seeing it, and I think I quite like it. When I say it, I, I think I feel, I don't know, sometimes I don't want the main character to be tarnished. I want them to stay pure. But, mm. you know, I'm a pacifist yeah. at heart. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to do with you guys is, is ask you if there are any high fantasy works that you're engaging at the moment or recently that you find really interesting or different or subversive or just really cool, like, examples of the genre as is. Um, but before I do, are there any other points you want to throw in or touch on or talk about? before we come to that closing section. Just a tiny, really short point. Yeah. Really, really short. Uh, I think Alex gave me that advice many years ago. Um, Alex, maybe I'm just giving you credit for no reason. But I think you told me that you so write the kind of books you want to read. And mm. yeah, yeah. That, and I think me. that just, just write the books you want to read. Don't worry. Do worry about market audience. Okay, that's important. But don't worry too much about is it high fantasy or low fantasy or sci-fi or is it actually uh, horror? Just just write, follow the, the writing advice that you get, but don't bother yourself that much with where it sits. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let, let yeah, the uh, interesting material is to be to be found in the margins, I think. Uh, the, mm. the blending of ideas and genres yeah. and things, that's where the newest, most interesting things will happen. So, yeah, don't don't catch yourself up too much on, is this strict high fantasy? You know, like, the, is that even a thing? I think we've probably argued ourselves here that it's yeah. maybe not that it's a little <laughs> more blurred than it initially appears. So. You know. Oh no, I'm arguing that it is a thing, but look at that. But that's that's the nature of the contentiousness, right? There will be no consensus about this. If 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 anyone out there thinks like no, no high fantasy no is not a thing, this is silly, <laughs> then yeah, I totally accept that. However, I, I do think that there are definite examples of the genre you can point to, like Star Wars. Okay, so moving on. Um we've all read at least some high fantasy. And what are some examples of works that we're reading, we have read, or we've read in the past that you think really resonate with you or are doing cool things with it all? Whatever. Alex, I believe you have uh, an interesting example that you're playing right now. 
I do. Yes, I am playing through Elden Ring from mm. from Soft, uh, and oh, that Ring. is a very excellent example Elden of Ring. high fantasy. <laughs> I think it. Uh, I think it follows all the tropes that we've looked at so far. There's a a pan. Well, there's a pantheon of of gods and goddesses. Mm, there's a deep uh, there's my history magic. and mysticism. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I. I don't really know how how to to describe it, but it's just it's a very very intricately built world, and because of the nature of video games, such that you can kind of wander around and talk to anyone you want, you can delve as deeply or as shallowly into it as you want. You can discover everyone's stories. You can go around and kill these random um, what are they the un- undying or something? Just like weird little dead guys that that did travel there's some guy in a boat oh they like, they can't die like, it's like they've taken the opposite of dark souls yeah, like, but yeah. what if they never exactly. die yeah yeah, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of interesting stuff there there's lore out the wazoo um yes it's just very interesting um and i think the fact that you're you're able to actually play it makes it a little more palatable palatable for me as opposed to just reading through it i don't know why because you're not big into into high fantasy are you I am not big into high fantasy in general. Why? Um, even the good stuff that I've read, like The Name of the, the Wind. Um, I'm not oh, saying that's wow. not a good book. I do think it's a good book. It's just not for me. No, um, totally reasonable. And Can you... I don't... I think one of the things that, I, that, that, that annoys me about fantasy in general is how grand and sweeping it is. I like conflicts to be very small and interpersonal. Mm. That's what I can mm. relate to personally. Not saying that it's not that i'm not saying that it's a bad thing inherently it's just not relatable to me i think that's maybe the crux of why i don't like it but there's probably examples that prove the rule that that are the opposite to that um where i'm like yeah this is great it's huge and sweeping but Mm. that seems to be the the crux of the matter for why it doesn't really resonate with me as much we didn't really touch on this but yeah by by necessity if a story is big and epic quote unquote in its scope then it won't give as much time to the small interpersonal details usually because it can't there's only so many words on a page so yeah i think that's a fair criticism and that is something that high fantasy typically doesn't have as much of what about uh what about you phoenix what's what's like a great work of high fantasy that's resonated with you or something you're reading at the moment the recent work so like obviously i could say lord of the rings i love that book but the recent fantasy that i don't know if i would count this as high fantasy but it was it's just more modern fantasy that i thought was just done very very well very engaging um i love the lies of Locke lamora arguably not it i'd say it's medium fantasy i don't know it's it's like the high sweeping grand adventure but dialed back just a little bit the scale's a little bit smaller more focus on interpersonal relationships i guess um but very well done um jade city by fonda lee that one's excellent um again arguably not high fantasy and it, it was a cool example as we've been talking about this because in my mind i was like uh, i was thinking about jade city and i was like you know it has a lot of staples that high fantasy has it's a made-up world made-up magic system um all this stuff and i was just trying to think of like what why doesn't it feel like high fantasy to me and apart from it being very modern it's in a modern world it um uh it's not european based Mm -hmm. uh the combat system is not very it's more eastern based it just has some flavors that aren't and it's smaller in scale as well it's not uh Mm -hmm. it's a gang war as opposed to a war the war of good and evil but very excellent 
if you like high fantasy, chances are you'll like both of those books. It sounds like even if it's not high fantasy, it has a lot of the elements of high fantasy, like high fantasy, but yeah, yeah. Matan, what about what about yourself? Are you reading anything at the moment that's high fantasy? Uh no, but I wanted to uh to support Phoenix on Lies of Loclamora. I think Alex, that might be something you would enjoy. It's kind of a hybrid low fantasy, low personal stakes, but definitely in a fantasy world with their own magic and the world settings. Uh, I want to shout out um, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemsin. I hope I'm saying the name right. Uh, Very unique fantasy. All the powers are related to earthquakes. Um, Uh They're very severe. Mm. Uh, She does very cool things with point of view. It mm. just shows that even in genre, you can get fun and experimental. You don't have to mm. stick what, to it. And what's a, sorry to interrupt, but like I'm, I'm interested in that. What's can you think of an example of like what it does with point of view? It's often hard She's to got, articulate. But she, she, I don't want to ruin because there's some really okay. cool twists. Okay, but I but think like, I will read this one too. So don't. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's got distinct point of views that are very satisfyingly uh, presented and connected. That's all I'll say. Interesting. And okay, and a and a more traditional one is uh, "Strange the Dreamer" uh, by Laney, Laney Taylor. It's more of a YA. Uh, it follows the usual beats, you know, from zero to hero. Very very nice guy. One of the nicest protagonists I've seen, and very likable, and great imagination. Everything feels fresh and new. The world doesn't feel like a, a rehash of uh, of elves and dwarves. She does everything. To me, it felt very fresh and unique and creative. So I recommend that too. Very nice. nice. The movie that I've watched more than any other in my life was Willow. I don't know if you guys have seen that. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Dude, look, I, I haven't no, seen it. No, I'm not saying adult. it's bad, but... Because as a kid, I... I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It probably gave me my love of fantasy. It's stock high fantasy. I think it's a wonderful film. If you haven't seen it and you want some uh, just heartwarming high fantasy, watch it. And it's got some cool battle scenes. And the, well, no, I won't give a spoiler at the end, but let's just say it leans into certain. I haven't haven't seen it, so I'll, I'll watch it. Beautiful film. Don't know if it holds up. But as a book and as an adult work, I'm, I'm going to say um, Shadow of the Torturer by Jane Wolfe. And if you like those works, read the others. That's the one I mentioned before. Deeply strange. Uh, there is so much interesting lore in this book. It's almost like a lore dump with a story threaded through it, but I'm I'm all for it. Only thing is the, um, the male gaze is very, <laughs> very prominent. <laughs> hey, if we can put up with it with Stephen King, you know? Oh, I, I didn't can, know. Yeah. I didn't know Stephen King... I haven't read much King. Oh yeah. Oh, it's there's it's a whole it's a whole disc. It comes and goes. Yeah, I mean, it does come and go. I think it's he's like he's he wrote Carrie. Like that's that's like I feel like that's mm. pretty ahead of its time, really. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jane Wolf, Shadow of the Torture, wonderful, very strange high fantasy. Well, guys, thank you for joining me. I think we've we've touched on all the major points and not seeing anything yeah, left in there. my notes list. <laughs> and we've concluded that it's definitely, maybe possibly, maybe not an actual subgenre that can pe- that point people can point to. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yay. Matan, do you want to close us out with a quote? Uh, sure. Um, this one is by Lloyd Alexander. And he says this, he says, fantasy is hardly an escape from reality. It's a way of understanding it. Beautiful. 
I think that's true. And I think that's kind of profound. We can think about fantasy, especially high fantasy is almost the modern mythology. Ancient peoples had their uh, epic of Gilgamesh and their tales of Beowulf. We don't have that anymore. We can look back to the ones of the past, but often they seem quite distant and remote. So we invent them ourselves. We use high fantasy as a way of creating mythologies, just like we do with Marvel superheroes. And I think that's okay. And I think it does reflect the values and aspirations and hopes and dreams of our current age. So guys, thank you very much for sticking around. We've been Precipice Fiction. If you would like to leave a review, a comment, or perhaps give us some feedback down in the little doobie-doop below, we would love to have all of the above. It's the only way we really get seen. And uh, reach out. Tell us what you think. Tell us that you love us. Tell us that you hate us. Give us any feedback you want. If you want to check out some of our work, we've got an anthology out called The New Mythic. It contains short stories by all of us. It's a hell of a read available on Amazon. And yeah, we've been Precipice Fiction. Until next time, enjoy some enjoy some fantasy, high or low. And we'll see you next time. Ooh, see ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> I, did you guys have this show about the bear and the moon? And it says goodbye to the moon? Is that like Blue's Clues? Yeah, yeah, something blue. Something blue. A bear says oh, goodbye bear, to bear the Bear in the big blue house? Bear in the big yeah. blue house. Right? Yeah. It, it felt Western. I used to wave like hell. I would wave until my mom would carry me away. Like, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept that in the recording. You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.